reading this day is from uh, the prophet Daniel in the 12th chapter. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading today from Hebrews in the 10th chapter. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their, uh, excuse me, and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise as you are able in honor of the gospel. And our gospel reading this morning is from Mark's gospel in the 13th chapter. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher. What wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, You see these great buildings? There will, be, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. 
the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is the Gospel of our Lord. I invite you to be seated. Mercy and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that as you have brought us together to hear your word into this place where you promised to be for us, we pray that you would guard our hearts and minds from distraction, that you would open our ears to hear your word, your love for us in Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, from what I understand, because I was a little young to see the first episodes, but from what I understand, there was a really great TV show about house renovations, and it was called This Old House. From what I have heard and learned, it started in the mid-late 70s, somewhere in that range. I wasn't watching This Old House at that time. I was watching Spider-Man and Captain Kangaroo. So I wasn't as much in tune with all of the house renovation type things, yet as life has gone on, I have come to thoroughly love house projects, building things, fixing things, making things better than they were, whether it's a car or a house. I love that process of taking something, changing it a little bit, and ending up with something different in the end, where you get to get your hands sometimes sore, sometimes you get to go buy new tools, that's fun. But you get to create. And that creative aspect of it is absolutely wonderful. And that's a little bit of what Herod was doing for the temple. It was a very old version of this old house. So about 20 years before Jesus' birth, Herod the Great, not Herod that was there at Jesus' crucifixion, that's Herod's son. So Herod the Great, who was a master architect, amazing guy, had put his hands to work and his mind to work to beautify the temple. Why did it need beautification? Well, it had had a bit of a life. I mean, in the first time of God's presence with his people, right? Let's go all the way back and then we'll get back to Herod. So in the first time of God's presence with his people, in the garden, Adam and Eve. There, heaven and earth all in one spot, right? Great spot where God's presence was in and amongst his creation as they walked in the cool of the garden together. Beautiful. Things separated. Sin came into the picture. God separated from his people, or actually his people kind of separated themselves from him, and they just couldn't be in his presence anymore because of their sin. And yet God continued to speak into his creation. He would pop in here and there, right? He would come and he would speak to Noah. He would speak to uh, Cain and Abel. He would come in and speak at times, yet there was no kind of permanent place for him. He just kind of made his way in and spoke his word when it needed to be spoken. And then as Moses comes on the picture, we see as God spoke to Moses through a burning bush, right? And then he goes in and takes his people out of Egypt. And as they're wandering around in the desert, he says, all right, guys, you're going to build me a place, a bit of a camper, really. So you're going to build a camper that we are going to pack up and take around as we go through the wilderness. And I am going to be with you, my people. And they would see this tabernacle 
filled with smoke and light and the presence and the glory of God in the midst of their wandering. And finally, as the years went on, he brings them into the promised land. And then finally, as David unifies all the people, and then David's son gets the task of building the temple. Man, 900 or so B.C., right? Mid-900s as Solomon builds this temple in the midst of David's city, in the midst of the people of Israel, a place for God to dwell. A place where God would call His people around Him for the feast and the sacrifices, a place where a priest would stand in between the people and God and offer their prayers up to Him so He would be their mediator, so He would speak for the people and then come down and speak God's Word to the people. But it happened at the temple. I mean, think of everything that we kind of take to... Uh, look at that shapes our American culture, right? So if you were to pick big things that kind of shape who we are as a people, right? Big, important uh, buildings for our order and our system, we would think of you know, probably the White House. And then we would think of um, you know, Congress and things that are going on there. We would think of uh, the National Treasury Building and, and the monies that are system is founded upon, and we may even throw in the National Cathedral in there as well as a big prominent old uh, cathedral in the midst of everything that our nation is. Now take all those and roll them all into one building and stick them on the highest point in the center of town. That was the temple. It was the center of political things. It was the center of religion. It was the center of of the Jewish culture. It was the center of their identity as a people. The temple was important. It wasn't just their church. It was the center of everything that they looked to as their identity, as God's people. And so Solomon builds this temple in the 900s for some odd years. That temple stands until the Babylonians come in. And there's this wonderful little verse in... uh, the midst of that whole thing where God says, I'm going to leave my temple, head off to the east, and go with my people. You see, yes, they were going off into exile, but God still went with them. And as the Babylonians came in and set fire to the entirety of the temple and burned it to the ground, there was nothing left. They destroyed it, pillaged it, and they left nothing. There were still... Israelites that were around, they just weren't the highest of society, so they weren't taken away. And as about 40 so years, if I remember correctly, go by, Ezra and Nehemiah come back at the behest of King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar sends them down and he says, all right, it's time for the Israelites to go back, go and build the city wall. And in the midst of building the city wall, they then find the word of God. And and then from that point, they start building the temple once Again, and under Nebuchadnezzar and under Ezra and Nehemiah, that temple gets built once again in the 500s. And that temple stood for a long time. Herod comes in to beautify it. See, now this is where the temple gets amazing. This is where we can see why the disciples, as they walk out, are saying, Jesus, look at these stones. Look at this building was expanding the temple complex on top of the temple mount and beautifying it, 
gold everywhere. If you read the historian Josephus, he talks about how the temple would reflect back the sun's rays and almost blind the sun. With all of the thick gold plating on the outside of the temple, all of the white stone, everything that stood up there as the face of the temple faced east and the sun would rise up and just blinding light would shine back off of the temple as people would look to the high point of town where the glory of God promised to rest. The temple was an important place. Think about this as the disciples are walking out of there. A week earlier, they just walked into town with Jesus on a triumphal entry as everybody is saying, Hosanna to the highest, to the Son of David. Here He comes in the name of the Lord. The Messiah is coming, the One who is going to lift His people up. Think about what's going on. Every bit of identity of the Jewish culture is being lifted to the highest at this point. The Messiah is in town. He's come into Jerusalem. The temple is at its most beautiful state ever. And everything seems to be going the way of the Hebrews. Everything seems to be going the way of Jesus. For Him to walk in and reign and usher in a new kingdom. I mean, this was the time, if any, God to lift the oppression of things. For Jesus to take control and reign. I mean, everything was looking perfect. And as they walk out and the disciples are looking at that building and they mark on the stones, you've probably heard it before, but just to give you a picture, the stones they're talking about were somewhere in the range of 12 foot by 8 foot by 40 foot. Okay, Almost wall to wall in here by 12 foot by 8 foot. A lot of volume for all you mathematicians out there. There's a lot of space of rock as one stone to be carved, and then that's just one that's being used in the walls, being used in the buildings, being used for the temple. It's a monumental building. So imagine the disciples' surprise when they remark at how beautiful everything is going and how everything is looking and how wonderful this time is as they are now coming in and Jesus has cleared out all of the mayhem that was going on in the Temple Mount and the place is ready to be the prominent spot in Israel and in Rome. And Jesus says, you see these stones? Not one of them is going to be left on another. These are folks that knew of the Egyptian pyramids. These are folks that knew of the wonders of the Roman architecture. These are folks that knew of amazing architecture, and they finally had theirs. And Jesus says, no, it's all going to be wiped out. And within 40 years, Jesus saying that, General Titus of the Roman army comes in and raises the temple to the ground. Not a single stone left. In fact, if you go there today, you can't even see a footprint on the stones of where the temple was at. There's no way to really tell where the buildings were. There's guesses, there's thoughts. But in the midst of the Romans coming into Jerusalem, in the midst of them coming in and just lighting fire to everything and pillaging and running the Israelites out of town, they completely tore the temple down to its ground. Yet before that happened, Jesus echoes the words that were said in Ezekiel as well. If you look up Ezekiel 10 and 11, it said, God left the temple, went and sat 
on the hillside opposite the temple, looking at it. As Jesus walked out of the temple that day, remarking about how everything was going to be wiped out, he walks across maybe a 20-minute walk over to the Mount of Olives and sits down. And the disciples look at him, kind of a stunned silence as they walk, and finally ask, when is it going to happen, Lord? What do you mean these stones are going to be knocked down? What do you mean we're not going to have the center of our culture anymore? And as the Lord had left the temple and went and sat on the mount opposite the temple to look over it once again, sitting down with his disciples, and he said, okay, I'll let you know what's going to happen. Wars and rumors of wars, famines, all kinds of bloodshed, earthquakes, famines, I already said famines, and all sorts of things that are not going to go well. And all of that did happen right before 70 A.D., right before General Titus came in and knocked everything down. But we know that the church didn't end. You see, all those words came to fruition. All those things that Jesus said to his disciples absolutely came true. Yet it's not a time ahead of us that those words were pointing to. Those words of Christ specifically were pointing to that time in history when the temple itself was going to be leveled to the ground. And it happened. Now, Some of those also mirror things that would happen before the second coming of Christ. But as he speaks to the disciples, he speaks specifically to them. They were beaten in synagogues. They were brought to kings and counselors to speak God's word. They were mocked and they were persecuted. Yet God's word remained. You see, his house at that point definitely got leveled to the ground. But it went through a bit of a renovation. It wasn't built with amazing stones anymore that were 40 by 12 by 8. It was built with stones that looked like you. Built with stones that you get to be. A living stone. Stones that gather together and share their gifts for the church. Stones that are gathered together by God and brought together in the body of Christ. Stones that have been made His church. See, His church is much more flexible now. We don't have to go on a pilgrimage to find it somewhere or wonder if God's going to be in that one place. He's where He promises to be in His Word, in His sacraments, where His people are gathered together. That's where God promises to be for us now. So that this church, this place where God promises to be, can go all over the world. It doesn't have to be brought into one center of a cultural place anymore. It gets to transverse, go throughout cultures, be spoken in all kinds of different languages as the Gospel is taken out to every nation as it was on the day of Pentecost where they gathered together and heard it in their own words and as His Word carries out throughout His church all over the globe. We start to wonder what that looks like. Well, how can His Word carry out to all nations? I'll give you a hint. Talk to the people in your house. Talk to the people on your sidewalk. 
Talk to the people that are right out in front of you because if every Christian throughout the world did that one thing, His Word would be carried in every single place that there is on earth. And we can do that because God has given Himself to us. As He has died for us on the cross and risen for our righteousness, risen for our forgiveness, risen to give us life that goes beyond the walls of a temple, but life that goes into eternity, into His people as we are sent out into the world as His church to speak His Word. We then get to be that place where God promises to be for His creation. A gathering of people that get to carry on His Word. A gathering of people that are made righteous by Him. A gathering of people that are forgiven in all of our failures. As He continues to build His church. As He continues to bring it ever closer to that day in eternity when Christ comes back and then that church will be perfected. And His church made perfect. No more renovations or updates needed. Christ will gather His people together. Gather them together around His table, in His presence, continuing to receive of His gift. The things we have now, but we will receive them in perfection. And we will receive them in totality. Where we may have ideas and thoughts about what they may look like now or wonder when Christ is coming back, but when that day comes, everything will be restored. Everything will be made new and we will be brought back together once again into the presence of our Lord. Complete house of all of God's people resting in His grace. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for all that You have done for us, all that You continue to do for us, and all that You will continue to do for us into the future. We pray, Lord, that we rest in Your grace, knowing that You have made us Yours, that You have built us up as Your church, and that You gathered us together to be where You promised to be for us. We pray, Lord, that You lead us by Your Spirit each day, and guard us in your grace and mercy in Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen.